Hey, folks, welcome to the Encuentros Latinx podcast, where we explore stories of spirituality, identity, and culture from Latinx perspectives. My name is Taylor Amaj. I'm an author and editor, and I'm Puerto Rican. This podcast is a project of Encuentros Latinx, an LGBTQ plus ministry in the United Church of Christ. I have one brief and beautiful announcement for you. On Thursday, September 8th at 3.30 Eastern, be sure to tune in to the UCC's Thursdays for the Soul webinar, featuring a panel from the Colectivo of Latinx Ministries as we kick off Latinx Heritage Month. You may or may not see a familiar face and hear a familiar voice. (laughs) The webinar will be streamed on the UCC's YouTube channel, where you can also find video episodes of Encuentros Latinx, like this one. My guest today is Adora Zanifer Isaguere, and she gives us the second deep dive about music that we've had on the podcast. She also shares her journey of how the UCC became family to her as she transitioned, and at the end of the episode, she reads her story published in the newest Encuentros Latinx toolkit focusing specifically on transgender inclusion. I truly enjoyed this conversation, and I hope you do too, so let's get right into this Encuentro. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Can you introduce us by giving us your name and pronouns? Hi, yes. Okay. My name is Adora Zanifer Isaguerre, and my pronouns are she, her. Amazing. And what country or countries do you and your family come from? So I was born in the USA. Uh, I was born in San Antonio, Texas. Um, my parents are from Texas. My my mother was born in California, but was a Texas raised and I think my ha- my family, I've done those 23andMe things. My mm-hmm. family has been traced back to Spain. The Isaguerre is spelled with an S. Everybody growing mm-hmm. up is always like, you're spelling it wrong. It needs a Z. But the S was, no, that's from Spain. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm half Hispanic from Spain. Mm-hmm. And the other half is Jewish from okay. Poland. So I'm a Jewish Spaniard uh, heritage Wow. Okay. Okay. Um, You know, it's funny that you bring up how Spain just has to be special with their Spanish. We have to be. Right. Yeah. We just like, yeah. (laughs) Which really, that really fits with my personality of just having to be special, a little special. (laughs) And not only is it from Spain, it's also from a very special part of Spain, too, from Mm -hmm. the Basque region, which is kind of like the tippy top of Spain, the bottom of France. Mm-hmm. A little bit of everything. So I have okay. to extra, extra special. Oh, I see. I see. Oh. I see. Well, this is already going down a little bit of a of a weird tangent. Um, <laughs> but, ju- but just thinking about how special and different Spain is, I uh, there's a great book series, a young adult fantasy book series called the Blaze Wrath Games series. And actually, Listeners of the podcast may remember Amparo Ortiz. She was previously a guest on on the show. Uh, the second book in that series, the, the sequel to it, um, has a – the villain actually is from Spain. Um, 
and she's very chaotic and all this stuff. But what's interesting is that in the book, there's a mixture of using English and Spanish. Mm-hmm. And the even the syntax, while this Spanish character is speaking, whether it's the narration is in English or there's a little sentence in Spanish, it's like, it feels like it's it's almost like it's pointing out that how linguistically Spain is different from the because all the other characters, all the other Spanish speaking characters in the book, they're all they're all Puerto Rican. And so it's even it's just like pointing that out in sort of a a subtle and and interesting way, because you all have that vosotros form Mm. in the verbs Mm -hmm. and everybody else and it is like, like is like yeah like we're just I have, not a, gonna do that. I have a friend she's um from chile and her spanish mm-hmm. is also very different and mm-hmm. so that's a, that's also very fun to to yeah to not deal with but to experience mm-hmm. yeah well yeah i mean in latin america alone you have so many countries and mm-hmm. i mean you <laughs> you you can Say if you say something to a Puerto Rican about like a bug, like you can't, you have to be careful because that could be a, a bad word. But then in some other country, it's like it's not a big deal, yeah. and it's just, and it's even more different than like U.S. English versus U.K. English. Yeah, like there's definitely differences there, but I feel like with Spanish, it's like even more. Yeah, and then my wife is all Tex-Mex Spanish, and so. Mm-hmm. We both grew up in the valley of Texas, and so Tex-Mex Spanish is what we were exposed to. And so mm-hmm. moving to San Antonio, we kind of move away from that Tex-Mex Spanish, and it, it's it's very fun professionally to be like, oh, my Spanish is a little different, and right. I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> we're, all better, we're all unique butterflies in our own way, so. So what is a good memory that you have about this area that you grew up in yeah okay well so i grew up in the valley i was born in san antonio and i was here i I live in san antonio currently so i was here for about four months i think and my parents moved down just so they could have extra help from my grandparents and because i was a i was a bit of a, a bit to handle um from what i've told and um so growing up there it was very just kind of different experience. I grew up on a farm. So I was a farm kid and Mm -hmm. surrounded by fields of corn. And I had children of the corn nightmares all the time. (laughs) I I also played in the field all the time. And I had this fun little habit of, I would go out into the cornfield when it was not planted. So it was empty and there would just be shotgun shells Hmm. casings and I would just collect them and I had just this huge bucket of shotgun shells um that when I tell people that they're like that's kind of weird I'm like yeah I would play with them they would be like characters I would draw faces on them and everything and (laughs) but um no I was a small town I really enjoyed growing up in that small town and you know the community was um you know, a little, I think at the beginning, it was very nice as I kind of grew up into myself. It became mm-hmm. a little more exclusionary, you know, as I kind of grew into who I was. But mm-hmm. overall, I, I really, I love the place. I don't know if I'd go back, but I definitely have fond memories of it. 
right? Yeah. Well, see, see now I'm imagining you as a small child and you're playing with these shotgun casings. And it's and the first thought that came in my head was, well, you don't need to go out and buy D&D minis. You no. already have them. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of. Well, now that, <laughs> well so such a missed opportunity. <laughs> I, would, I need to... <laughs> I, I need to just clarify real quick because I, I said D&D minis and I'm not sure how much of the uh, usual audience for the show mm-hmm. is going to know what that that is. I'm talking about Dungeons and Dragons. You have you can get um, little like figures. They're called yeah. minis and you have them on the table with you as you're playing. So just wanted to I, I have to interject sometimes to provide some context for the nerdier sure. stuff that we're definitely going to get into a little bit later. But yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah, because I no, I'm a big Dungeons and Dragons. I dungeon master. I write my own stuff for my friends. I'm in a campaign right now. Yes, so it's and now I'm just like, oh, you threw away all those shells because you thought they were such a, a a childish thing to have, and now it's just like, mm. and now I play with little toys all the time. So right, right. Yeah. <laughs> so. What's the first meaningful exposure to religion or spirituality that you can remember? I don't know. Religion used to really confuse me as a kid. It was something I didn't understand. And um, so I've been diagnosed with autism as an adult. Mm -hmm. Looking back as a kid, it was like, oh, okay, that makes a lot of sense as to Mm -hmm. why it was just a little more challenging. And religion was something that like, I just couldn't comprehend. Mm -hmm. So when I would like, ask people at whatever religious place I was at, you know, it'd always be that like, why are you asking questions kind of attitude. So it was mm-hmm. something I really didn't quite understand. And I really didn't enjoy because it was met with, if you questioned, you were like dissenting almost. It's like, mm-hmm. no, I just want to understand. But one mm-hmm. thing I loved was all of the music camps that mm-hmm. I do. And I would always audition for the speaking roles and the, yeah, the actress inside me came out at a very young age. And I think that's where, I think that was my first buy-in to, to religion was I get to sing, I get to act in front of people. Mm -hmm. And I still have like DVDs of my Mm -hmm. little, I think the one that I have, it's like called action camp heroes or something. And I was a superhero. And so... (laughs) Yeah, it is me with a cape and like a, I think it was like the Superman emblem, but it had a cross mm-hmm. in the middle. And so I was the coolest for sure. Wow. Yeah. yeah. I wore that shirt out. Like I was proud of that shirt, like with the cape and everything. I am pretty sure that I used to see that shirt in Christian bookstores in like the early 2000s. You probably, do you remember Bible Man? No, I, cause, but I probably maybe have seen like if I looked at it, maybe I okay. go look, recognize yeah, it. Yeah, after this, go look at it. Bible Man is like it's the kind of thing like I forgot I knew about, and then somebody sent me a link like this is kind of crazy, and I went. It's basically like a superhero children's show about this. He's he's not a Christian, and then all of a sudden he sees the light and he finds a Bible on his worst day. He transforms into Bible Man, and he helps children like kind of in basic everyday situations mm-hmm. and it's a very campy thing. And I, mm-hmm. I totally was just like an addict to the show as a child. And then now I, I go back and I watch it. And I'm like, this is kind of the dumbest thing, but I love it, but it's definitely <laughs> kind of the dumbest thing, but I absolutely love it. 
Gosh, there's so much about like, well, what I remember of like 2000s Christian culture and just what I grew up with, the, the only super Christian cartoons I grew up with, I had those like, um, like beginners Bibles, like VHS tapes that were like the animated Bible stories. That yep. was the main thing. I remember I watched those a lot. I was super into them. Um, and then like later on when I was a teenager and I got into anime and then I had this whole little crisis of like, I can't be a Christian and like anime because, <laughs> oh my gosh. Anyway, so I made, I, I was part of this online forum called the Christian Anime Alliance, which um, I'm still actually pretty good friends with people that I met there. Um, but I, but there are always lots of threads about like Christian like Christian culture stuff doing anime and manga. And I remember this one, I guess it was a, or maybe it was even an 80s show that it tried to be, maybe it was nineties. I don't remember, but it was, it was like an anime. I think where kids got like transported into the Bible or something. I mean, it was like, it was basically Fushigi Yugi, except it was, it was the Bible. I think it was Bible. <laughs> I cannot just that, that comparison. Um, I don't know if you know Fushigi Yugi at all, but just like thinking about a Christian version of like a Christianized version of that, like, oh my gosh, that's a, that's quite a comparison. It is. We used to be talking about D&D. &D, that reminds me of the D&D &D cartoon where, right. yes, the 80s one, the very bad one, which is on YouTube for everybody who's listening. Go and like watch it. That's 20 minutes of your life that I apologize you'll never get back, but it's definitely not worth a watch but i would say watch it anyways because it is they get transported into i think a dungeons and dragons book that's yeah that's, mm -hmm. i love i love stories of where people get pulled into something and they're just like how do mm -hmm. we get over here right right well that there's there's a lot of that and those were always those are always pretty interesting um but uh, that yeah, it's that fish out of water thing that everybody mm -hmm. can identify with that like yeah yeah, I don't belong here, but I want to get back to where I belong. Yeah, well, I think I think also as like that's that really rings true with a lot of the Latinx experience too. Is like this whole thing of like inhabiting multiple worlds. It's just such a. I mean, it feels like a cliche to to say on the one hand, just because I hear it so much within our communities, but like it it's so true, and it and it's just interesting seeing the different ways that that manifest like um i'm about to name drop a band coheed and cambria um yes okay all right all right so i it's very long overdue for me to be getting into coheed um i really should have been into them for no, 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 a really welcome. long time anytime you're welcome I, I know but like I, i'm saying this because i i love me without you and thrice and showbread it's it's like i really should have I, I i've known about this band i have friends that have been super into them i finally started giving their music a proper listen and then i also come to find out claudio sanchez is an entire puerto rican man and i just i'm like man i really you know all this time and i and i'm puerto rican myself so i'm like man i really have been sleeping on this band that's but a, that, i bring it up that, that's embarrassing because i didn't know that and <laughs> now you're telling me right here. You uh -oh. the story of what? <laughs> well, he he is he is. And what's what's fascinating about Coheed, um, and I'll try to keep this uh, this brief. But Coheed is like a lot of bands have concept albums. Coheed and Cambria is a concept band. And, yeah. the, the entire band is is a concept, and specifically the music is 
like integrated into this whole sci-fi world mm. that Claudio um, has created. And there's comic books and everything. And I've spoken to my friends who have been really big Coheed fans for a long time. And as I was getting into them, I'm like, I'm like, I feel like that meme of uh, you know, you see that mean meme of the guy who is like all wild looking and he's got like all the whole whiteboard, uh, the pins yeah. and the board and, and like, you know, that everything's co- yes, right, how everything's connected. Like, I'm like, I feel like this meme right now trying <laughs> to understand the Coheed lore and my friends who have been into Coheed for like literal like decades were like literally same. We, uh-huh. we feel the same way. Um, but you know, it, it it doesn't surprise me that, you know, Claudio, he is, I don't know his specific, you know, Latinx experience, but he is a Puerto Rican man. It, it doesn't surprise me that we have this Latino who is manifesting his art in, in this way, like science fiction and speculative stories. It's just such a, there's such a strong meshing, I think, with science fiction and fantasy and Latinx people and just how those stories like I think resonate with with a lot of our own stories. Yeah, for like sci-fi is my jam. Like Star Trek, that like growing up, that was like me and my dad's show together. Like all of it, and then, yeah, in my writing, everything that I write, it's def, it's got to be fantasy, or it's got to be sci-fi. Mm-hmm. As like like a my imagination is bigger than life, and so so does my writing. Like it has to be mm-hmm. just fantastic in nature like just mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah yeah me too I uh I, I'm an author myself and oh. the vast majority yeah the vast majority of of my work it's it falls under the speculative umbrella whether it's I, I've got one book I'm revising now that is um it's sci-fi but like it's also really contemporary too because mm-hmm. like the the world is our world but there's this element this like sci-fi element that i've introduced and then i've got entire like second world fantasy things going on um it's just uh to to me it's just such a rich way of exploring ideas um it's like this nice canvas that you can just mm-hmm. throw anything on and it all fits because it's such a open platform that mm-hmm. yeah that anybody's creativity style can mm-hmm. do. yeah mm-hmm. absolutely so how has your experience of religion and spirituality grown and shifted as you have come into yourself as you know as as a person yeah that's a story so let's go <laughs> okay so yeah okay growing up you know very Hispanic town, very mm-hmm. Catholic. Um, yeah, I was not Catholic. We were Baptist, I believe. And I remember not knowing the difference. And I like, I would ask like my mom or my dad, like, mm, like what was it? And they're like, no, there's not really that big a difference, but they're very different. And I was like, oh, thanks. That's mm-hmm. only super confusing. And so, um, all of my friends, everybody, you know, they went to mass. They were in, I think it was like, oh, of course I'm blanking on it now. Like it, there's C and something or other, the, I don't, I don't know. But anyways, um, so growing up, it was just kind of this thing I didn't understand matching like my own feelings that I didn't understand, like knowing, okay, people are saying that this is wrong. People are saying that this is wrong. This is right. This is whatever. And I know my own story, like I grew up thinking I was gay. 
like to mm-hmm. me, I was a gay boy and mm-hmm. uh, I go gay is wrong. You know, it's not even a conversation that we can have mm-hmm. because it's a non-starter. Like you're mm-hmm. not, there's no way. And mm-hmm. so going to really like church, I was scared. Like if just mm-hmm. like, well, what if somebody finds out? What if I say something? What if, what if they can tell by my voice? Like that was like something mm-hmm. like, I remember like I would be terrified to go to church because what if they could tell from my voice? And so mm-hmm. I would kind of resist going quite a bit. You know, I was that, oh, I don't want to go, I'm going to fall asleep in church. Or, you know, I don't want to go you know, every excuse I can make in the book. And so college, kind of stepped away from church. I used that as an opportunity to, like, really find my own identity. Mm-hmm. And it really, it wasn't until somewhat recently, like maybe two years ago, I was where I started, like, okay, questioning my identity of what am I is, you know, male doesn't feel right. And, mm-hmm. you know, starting that gender journey that I also felt this kind of emptiness just in spirituality in general. And so mm-hmm. I was hesitant to return to church. So I went back, like kind of like a low, like low, um, low risk, one of those mega churches um, mm-hmm. that I lived like five minutes away from where I could blend in. I could be mm-hmm. invisible, but I could still kind of like get my fill of spirituality. I could sing the songs. That was that always like, that was my connection was the music mm-hmm. feel the music. I could, I just really enjoyed giving myself up in that sense of that song, the spiritual, the, that was my form of worship was singing. Mm-hmm. And so, um, as I really like kind of solidified, like, okay, like I I really am questioning my gender. I really am exploring my identity. Um, I knew I had no clue what to do. Like, I was just like, I don't know how to start. I don't like, how does one question their identity? How does one explore Mm -hmm. that? So I decided to go to a PFLAG meeting. Um, Shout outs to PFLAG. Um, Great program. Um, I went to PFLAG. I knew it was for parents and family, but I was like, I'm sure they'll be okay if I go. <laughs> like, they'll right. help me. Mm-hmm. And so I went to PFLAG in the town that I lived in. Um, it was a town called Bernie outside of San Antonio. Um, and I met some very nice people there. They were very kind to me. They were very, you know, open. And they helped me, like, talk through, like, my questions. And um, they were like, I don't know if you need a you know, a spiritual home, but we would like to invite you to our UCC church. Um, we're very open. You can be who you are and everybody will be safe. It'll be kind. And so I was like, okay, yeah, I'll, I'll check it out. So that was on Tuesday. I went on Sunday. It was my birthday. And um, I was wearing, I remember very specifically, I was wearing my brand new Doc Martin um, shoes. They were the Basquiat art shoes and so I walked in, like, I was like, I'm feeling good. I'm looking good. I'm going to, like, I'm going to rock this. Like, I'm not going to be nervous about it at all. And mm-hmm. so I walked in, and they, had, they gave me the name tag, and everybody was, oh, Adora, we're so happy you're here. And I, like, mm-hmm. never, like, received that at any place of worship. And so mm-hmm. we're so happy you're here. Come sit with us and, and everything. And so they started, and we had the choir, you know. And so... 
after church. They're like, would you like to come be in the choir with us? And I was like, really? Like, oh my God, I, I would absolutely love to. And so I joined the choir and I got to bring all my musical skills. At the time I was a music teacher. And mm-hmm. so I um, was like, oh, well, I'm a music teacher. I have all these instruments. I can teach you guys to play this. We can, we can really make this choir something big. And so um, mm-hmm. that really, they really got me connected to that. And so that was kind of like the start of my journey back into spirituality um, as well as my journey into gender. And at that point, um, I ran into like a really big life-changing event where my work um, and my gender identity did not kill along. And mm-hmm. I had to exit. And mm-hmm. so it broke me, like really, like really broke me. Um, and, you know, I was dealing with all kinds of, you know, self-harming thoughts or Mm -hmm. just isolation. I was home all day by myself and, you know, just really depressed, but all those people in the church who I had just met, like literally two weeks before, like Mm -hmm. we're here for you. And they would come visit me and they would call me and they would text me. And I, it was just a level of support I hadn't had from anybody in my life, let alone like these strangers. And I remember it really like shook my understanding of what I thought like not only spirituality was, but Christianity was because, you know, I came at it from the viewpoint of a, you know, LGBTQ plus uh, community member. Christianity Mm -hmm. was very much a oppositional kind of Mm -hmm. and even people who were in the community who were christian it was always like why and Mm -hmm. so but then like i got to see a real taste of grace and love and support and it saved my life like it legitimately did and so like i i all those people like they just they live in my heart and they show me like what true love and care is for another human Mm -hmm. being and it really you know healed that kind of brokenness that previous houses of worship had inflicted upon me of that exclusionary kind of viewpoint that oh we will we we won't support you but we'll talk you can still come or even some of that like oh you Mm -hmm. can't anymore and Mm -hmm. so that i'd say that is kind of like that's where i'm at because i'm I'm with that church um you know i still work with the choir and i Mm -hmm. sing and i still get to worship in my own way with a community that accepts me which Mm -hmm. is something i ever thought i would have Mm -hmm. that is quite a story um and i love this is, of course, I mean, I, I can hear and see the all the UCC people being like, yeah, that's a that's exactly, you know, what we should be doing. And what a what a great thing. And um, I, I mean, yeah, I can even say for myself and in a not not as an extreme of, of a way, but like my church that I go to that I've been going to for my entire adult life, especially um in the first few years that I was going there, I 
unironically uh, called them my second family. Yeah. Um, and I think that specifically when LGBTQ folks find those places of worship that are mm. that for us, then we're just like, yep, these church, yes, a church is my chosen family. Like in the queer yeah. community, we talk about chosen family all the time because, mm. you know, many of us come from circumstances where it's only the chosen family that we get to have. Yeah. Um, and, and it's like, even within that, like, kind of like you were saying, it can be a little bit like what church is your chosen family. Okay. Like you're yeah. going to be, you know, um, but it, it's just like that. Yeah. It's, just, it's just like that. Even now, like the, the people I turn to, like when I have just life questions or I've just had a rough day <laughs> and I need to cry on the phone to somebody like, yeah, like mm -hmm. I'll call my you know church family i mean that's really what it is mm -hmm. like they're 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 my family now mm -hmm. i hope they know that they're gonna listen to this so congratulations well yeah yeah congratulations <laughs> uh you've you've uh, adopted somebody yeah in case you didn't already know that Sorry. <laughs> you're stuck with me <laughs> that's what you get for being friendly and inviting <laughs> i also love how you were talking about um the way that music was that strong connection point for you. And music is something like music and spirituality is something that has been on the front of my mind a lot recently because um, I'm a guitar player and I can sing. Um, and many times I can do both at the same time. Um, and I've had a leg up on me on that. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I've had a, a rekindling of my guitar playing of sort of refocusing on that because um, I'm able to, cause I'm doing it in church. My yeah. church is going through this whole like kind of renewal, uh, process. And, uh, so acoustic guitar is making an appearance, electric guitar is making an appearance. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting for me because I was very formed by the white contemporary evangelical type of praise and worship culture. Yeah. Like um, straight, straight from the, the hymn book or like like, like um like Stephen Curtis Chapman or like like Hillsong um okay Hill, yeah. like yeah yeah uh David Crowder who's who's big Chris Tomlin you know all these folks that um you know they're probably not playing these songs anymore actually I'm pretty sure they're not playing those songs in those churches anymore but it's because like I had my a lot of my faith formation in that type of uh worship culture mm -hmm. which was modern in style but very dated in it in theology yeah and i had this whole like especially when i first joined the ucc um i had this little like superiority complex almost of like the old hymns are so good because because it because it was the old hymns paired with a actually like progressive and inclusive theology mm -hmm. which i felt was more important than like having electric guitars and stage lights and powerpoint yeah. slides and all that kind of stuff and i used to sort of draw that line in sort of a, a joking way a lot and at the end of the day it's it's still true i would still rather have a church that is 
traditional in style, but has actually done the work theologically mm -hmm. to be relevant to this generation, as opposed to a church that stylistically appears to be relevant by having uh, modern sounding music and all that type of stuff. But the theology is actually very regressive. Yeah. Um, I would, I would give me the traditional church um, with, with the old hymns and mm -hmm. the progressive theology any day of the week over you know, to, to make it if it's going to be one or the other. And so I'm like in my mind and then also like among some friends too, just because of the trajectory of my own life in terms of music and spirituality, I'm like trying to piece together like this, like a post praise and worship type of vibe or like a thing to do in churches. Like a new um, era of worship. Of... Right. Yes. Yeah. I, like, I and, and basically, cause one of my, challenges that I have with uh, contemporary Christian praise and worship is that it, I mean, if we're going to say that God is the creator of the universe who like made all these things, we have so many musical genres that what is labeled as praise and worship is like one thing. It's it's like literally like one genre, maybe like two or two or three genres at best. Um, and I, I'm kind of unironically like, like, you know what, if we're going to be serious about like, you know, thinking about God and, and music and musical creativity, like, uh, sometimes, sometimes church may look like a hardcore show or it might look like a metal show. And then the next song, it, it's, it's like a, it's like a hip hop song or a rap anthem, um, throw in some lo-fi in there, like, <laughs> Listen, lo-fi hymn hop is something that should lo exist. Lo-fi hymn hop. Oh. Yes. Literally, oh my God. <laughs> yes. That's what's up? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And and you know, saying these things, it it's it does sound kind of kind of funny and silly and it is a little bit funny and silly, but at the same time I'm a little bit serious about it. It's like, well, you know, sometimes we want to make the joke like, oh, we're, you know, gosh, we're not, it's not we're not going to play like hardcore metal in church and I'm oh. like, and ha, that's haha ha, funny, but like what if we did though? Yeah. Because I mean, Christian was, metal yeah, is pretty good. <laughs> more, more accessible. Like the more mm -hmm. styles you have, the more things you can bring. Right. People you're gonna bring, and right. you have people like right. me who like the music is the reason I got into it in the first place. Mm -hmm. I had the fun experience of I like as a child and as a young adult, I didn't really pay much attention to any of the music. And so now mm -hmm. that I go to a church regularly, regularly, and I'm a part of the choir and we're playing all these songs, I don't know a lot of Christian music. Right. And so right. I've had this like sort of um, own journey of discovering all the different kinds of Christian music. And mm -hmm. so I'm finding that my favorite Christian music is usually not the contemporary stuff. Like right. it is the, the hip hop or it is mm -hmm. the, the heavier, like, um, Lecrae, I like his stuff. Mm -hmm. That R and B hip hop. Uh, I don't think they're Christian anymore, but I remember going back and listening to Under Oath, mm -hmm. and I know they used to be in all mm -hmm. those. Like that's pretty, yeah. hardcore, at least for me. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Well, Christian. Yeah, they're not very hardcore to some people, but yeah. to me, it's like, Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, Christian hardcore was like an entire thing and and the yeah. like two like 2000 
five-ish to 12 was like the peak of it. I only know this because I one of the many uh, YouTube channels I've been watching lately is called the Punk Rock MBA. Mm. And he has a lot of like history videos about uh, different pretty much any heavy music, like all different genres of heavy music. He's got these really great videos about it. And so I was just watching one yesterday um, about Christian hardcore. And so he goes through that, that whole history. And it's like, yeah. And what he says is that there was a time in that, like whatever it was, 2005 to 2012 range where like Christian hardcore was actually defining the entire hardcore scene for a minute. So you had under oath Norma Jean, um, you had, I mean, all these other bands and a lot, a lot of these, I, I like, you know, sadly haven't listened to a lot um, because I personally have, I found, I found my three and I was just kind of like obsessed with them for the past like decade. Um, but, yeah. but it's, you know, and, and like, I, I have covered showbread and thrice in my church recently. <gasps> um, not, not the he- not the heavy songs, because uh, I can't. I mean, I'm working on my vocal fry, screaming a little bit, and it's really fun to do. Mm-hmm. But um, I'm I'm not not ready for uh, for that yet. But and, and I think too, especially uh, progressive churches or, or mainline churches like the UCC that don't already have this sort of built in like cultural structure of quote unquote praise and worship are prime like spots for, for this to come in and like. UCC yeah take their culture and you know worship the way that they feel like right this is how i want to work this is right i play ska music so i'm gonna do some five iron frenzy covers or i'm gonna love that yeah uh, like yeah you know it's it's like it's like why not because you know and even a lot of these bands I, i know that showbread at least um in their early days i mean they were practicing in churches and they were some of their first gigs were like local like churches in, in so their town and it's like and it's like <laughs> yeah it's like well it's i mean there there's like i've listened to podcasts kind of talking about the whole like tooth and nail scene the underground um like christian hardcore oh. which which sort of spawned up in the in response to this big evangelical culture so it's like we, we already have like the seeds of of this thing that i'm calling you know post praise and worship which is actually it's not just based in like hardcore music specifically like, the whole idea of it actually is really like um a rejection of this like this is what praise music looks like right right exactly exactly and of course like not every single church can do the whole span of genres that there could be right because that that's a lot you know like not not everybody um you know has get through a heavy metal session or a mosh pit yeah right right (laughs) It, it can be it can be it can be a lot but but just imagining the just the openness to it. There's, there actually is a group in Finland. Um, they're like they call it Metal Mass. There's some videos on YouTube. It's so cool and and it's it's a vibe. They, they do they take the hymns from the Lutheran hymnal. Yeah. And they make it metal. And it's like yes, because of course it fits together perfectly. Actually, yeah. I mean specifically symphonic metal. Like all that stuff is based in classical music to begin with, which is what so much of, of what mainline churches do so is classical I, music anyway. You know, like it's right there. It's right there, people. I went to a, um, I went to music school. So I'm a music, yeah. I have a music education degree. Yeah. So we studied all of like that symphonic stuff. And at the time I was really into progressive metal. 
in progressive mm-hmm. rock. And so one band that I listened to was um, Dream Theater. And right. so I remember like one of my assignments, I was like, okay, do a, uh, like a musical analysis of any piece of work. So I took a dream mm-hmm. song and I found some sheet music and I went through the whole thing and I was like, okay, so this is this and this is this. And it's really, yeah, mm-hmm. it's the same thing. And it's just, you know, we have different yep. instruments. We have modernized instruments and we have modernized yep. instruments. And it's really, and symphonic metal is like really, mm-hmm. I could, I could fall asleep to that. Mm-hmm. Sometimes, oh my gosh. I, I was- sometimes I do. <laughs> Yeah, I, w- I was just just today um, listening to a, a live Nightwish show, and I was like, yes. Mm-hmm. And of course, they, they played they played like two of the songs that I remember listening to a lot as a teenager. There's actually, I mean, there's a lot of their newer stuff that I really don't know. Um, but gosh, like it's it's just so epic sounding, and it's it's like it's it's classical music. It's literally classical music. It is structured like Ghost Love Score is a ten minute ballad, um, yeah. and it's beautiful um but <laughs> yeah, to the point where like songs that were shorter than 10 minutes i'm just like there's not enough music i want right. i want 20 minute like i want to okay if i listen to this like i i want that like i crave that right. that every like the one side of a record is one song and right yeah right yeah yeah and even like ju- like just with that you know thinking about um what does it look like to bring that in into churches? And I think I think it's a question that we can begin to like seriously think about, and not not just talking about like, uh, um, you know, bringing in metal, bringing in hip hop, gospel, like the, these things that really are frankly ignored by contemporary Christian and, and praise and worship culture. Yeah. Um, but also, you know, sometimes sometimes some praise and worship songs they hit pretty hard. There are some real bangers still, oh, like in, yeah, in within still, those genres. I still yeah. cry every time I hear um, "Oceans" by Hillsong. <laughs> like that, that, <laughs> that song. Like I remember the first time I heard it, I was like, "This is a perfect song." And then, like mm-hmm. I was, I think maybe a week ago, I'm like, "This is a perfect song." And mm-hmm. um, I think it's like also too, like it kind of brings in the question of like, okay, like what is a worship? What does worship even look like? You right. know, like is it sitting and getting a sermon told to us for thirty minutes or? can worship be something where we're all gathered together and we're playing music and maybe it is just music or maybe it is spoken word or maybe it mm-hmm. is, you know, like mm-hmm. worship doesn't have to look like it's what it's looked like for the past, however many right. years forever. And right. that was right. the fun thing of like going to music school and we had mm-hmm. music history and like up until like a point in history, like all music was just christian music not even like Mm -hmm. religious christian like catholic and so Mm -hmm. um seeing that like that number dwindle and secular music rise and the rise of different genres and Mm -hmm. it i think it just it kind of gives credence to the fact that like we have divorced the two of religion and music and what Mm -hmm. looks like and worship is this and it doesn't have to be and for Mm -hmm. some people it isn't Mm-hmm. Like, just for me in general like I don't do well with sermons like I just sitting there I get distracted really easily and mm-hmm. but you know if I'm engaged if I'm a part of it if I'm sitting there and I've got a shaker in my hand and we're talking mm-hmm. and we're, we're sharing you know our stories what what the things that we feel what God's love is through us and how we live it like I feel like that's just as valid of worship as any other form 
So that reminds me, that whole line of conversation makes me think back to General Synod 2021, where um, one of the um, worship sermons, the entire sermon was a gospel, um, was a gospel beat. I don't know. Did you go to General Synod? No. Okay. Um, I'm trying, it's... um, I'm trying to like remember more specifics about it. I I just remember that it was, I think, actually, I think it was technically the keynote speaker. That's what it was. It was one of the keynote speakers. And, uh, but, but her entire thing was, um, was set to a gospel beat. It was like an hour long thing. And I was like, this is the most, this is spiritually moving. Like, oh my gosh, you know? And I'm like, like, at General Synod, I see the most diversity in terms of music yeah. in church. And I it comes the closest to, you know, what my own personal vibe for a ideal church service w- would be. And I'm not saying that, you know, every church service needs to be what my ideal is, because honestly, my ideal would be a total vibe check for like everybody else. For me, it's just my iPod on shuffle. But <laughs> that, that can be a lot for, for other people. But like, the, the first song is something is, uh, you know, an, an invocation by Native American tribes that, you know, we're we're allied with and um, and 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 are, you know, gathering on their lands with with their permission. And they're, um, you know, beginning with the with a traditional chant. And then the, the next one is is like a gospel thing. And the next one is may, maybe throw in a contemporary thing. Then do like a David Crowder bluegrass type of thing. Yeah. Then do a rap one. Then do a metal thing. Like I'm like, yeah, this just sounds like my iPod. Yeah. This it, just sounds it, like what my iPod is. A little bit of everything for everybody. But it's right. also like, I'm ne- like I, I, I'm hard pressed to find a genre of music I don't like, honestly. Mm-hmm. And like I know a lot of people are like, yeah, I like everything but country. But like I love country too. Which, so, yeah. You know, you know, people but like that that whole point, like, oh, I like everything except rap and country's like, we know what you're really saying. Yeah. You know, yeah. it it's you know, it it's actually it's pretty racist and class it's it, it's undergirding racism and classism. Like, oh, I don't like rap, I don't like country, but I like everything else. It's like, okay, we like we know what that coded language is. And so mm-hmm. and so to be clear, like as I'm talking about like, oh, this whole post praise and worship thing, like it it's it will include you know, rap and country too, like the whole, the whole thing. And this is like for anybody, anybody who's doing music in church that wants to, that kind of like vibes with it. This is a very like working loose kind of, of definition. And and it depends, it's going to look different in every local church context, but I think it, it can be helpful to sort of think about like, have a, have a term to try to like live into and explore more. Um, And like, what are even, it's not even like, covering entire songs per se like i mean i think especially pulling in metal influences prog stuff which can be really difficult all you need is like learning a a chord progression or a certain sound you have that playing in the background over somebody reading scripture if the vibe is right um you know it's not even that you have to like do all the screaming vocals for everything like you you could just borrow but you know the you know, the verse or chorus or something. And, and the thing, the fun thing about doing that though, is that like you as the instrumentalist, you'll, you'll know. And then the congregation, maybe they're not going to know, except there's going to be one person one day who's going to know that band and they're going to have a moment, right? They're going to, they're going to be like, I walked into church to this random church and they 
played this me without you riff while someone <laughs> was reading the scripture and I lost my entire mind. Yes. I did not expect to hear that in church. And I want to know what else is going on in this place. All because the musician was a little nerd like me who wanted to do something sneaky and cover the band without covering the band, you know? Yes. That's the kind of thing that could be really, really fun to play with. And I mean, the, the Tibetan, the the like the bowls, the singing bowls too, like hitting those too. Like some of these some of these other things that I know some churches are already doing, mm-hmm. um, like all of that falls under this whole thinking of, um, you know, because I think I think contemporary Christian praise and worship is like is like the big cultural establishment in terms of what um, Christian religious worship looks like. It's a whole industry. Right. Mm. And I think there needs to be a counter to that. And I think a lot of people are leaving evangelicalism specifically. It's just the, the, the time is ripe for, I think this sort of thing to, um, to come into being. And then to also like, look at all this diversity of, of music. I mean, even music in different languages, I've never ever been to a contemporary Christian type of church that had any music in any other language besides English. Yeah. And so it's like creating this movement of just equality, not equality, but equity and inclusion Mm -hmm. worship that, you know, everybody can feel like they have a home there. And that's just, Mm -hmm. you know, like to me, like my whole religious experience is shaped by finding a home in these people, in this process, in this, in in this form of worship. And I think like what you're talking about there, I totally, I dig it by the way, when you establish that, give me a call and I'll, I'll be your (laughs) pianist or your drummer or whatever, but like it already exists. Yeah, I'm working on, I'm working on an essay for it. Like I'm, I'm already to me, like I'm already doing it in church. And I think you can like everybody, anybody listening to it who vibes with it can just start doing it. And I think what would be really cool is to just like, like share how that looks like in all of our different churches, because it's, it's a new thing. It's going to look different. It's going to, you know, it's going to be a a different thing everywhere. And it would just be, because the other thing too, is just on a practical level too. Like when I'm, when I was looking, you know, getting my guitar stuff back up to speed and sort of like, you know, looking, looking into, into stuff, everything that I could find that had to do with playing guitar in church was specifically rooted in this contemporary Christian praise and worship stuff. I mean, I had to dig specifically to find anything. It's, it's either that, or you dig a little bit to find gospel and that's it. Those are the only, the only two things that you find, like in terms of resources when it comes to guitars in church. I used to joke around with my wife because I would do this I had this bit that I would do where I would have my guitar and I would pretend mm-hmm. that I was a worship leader at a church. And so I would just start kind of like hovering around on one chord, just kind of strumming the notes. <laughs> and I'd be like, everybody, please, I want you to close your eyes. I want you, I want you to think of everything that that troubles you, all your hardships this week. Maybe, maybe you had trouble getting to work one day maybe maybe the bills or maybe home is just not as easy as it used to be and i just want you to know jesus jesus is bigger than that he's and i just would do that and she'd be like that is the dumbest thing and then i would at, at this church that i go to i'm one of the music directors and so mm-hmm. like, I, every now and then I'll, I'll go into that kind of just that musical strumming that i'll just make like uncomfortable eye contact with her i'm like it's real right do it right but then also right. like every now and then like i'll like oh, I, I learned to play a new song and it's like okay we're 
we're having our prayer time and I want there to be music over it. So I'm just going to kind of play this song that I know nobody knows. And, mm-hmm. and all for all my church peeps listening, like also like, sorry, but like I get to do it. So, um, mm-hmm. but, but then we'll get in the car and then my wife will be like, were you playing that song? I'm like, shh, don't tell anybody. Like it's, right. it sounded right. pretty, didn't it? Like, yeah. Right. But mm-hmm. I just, I love that. Like it is what you make of it. Mm-hmm. And if you make it one thing for one person, like it's not really going to be anything for a majority of people, mm-hmm. like especially people who are looking for something, who need something. Like mm-hmm. I know, like especially like in the trans community, like mm-hmm. a lot of us deal with this internalized, like I don't belong or I don't. Mm-hmm. Belong. And I know for mm-hmm. me, it started young, like with this, I, you know, I never was allowed to hang out with girls beyond school. Uh, mm-hmm. but also like I didn't fit into the male community because you know I wasn't a boy but society mm-hmm. decided I was and so I pushed so hard into that masculine kind of frame and mm-hmm. didn't fit like it didn't work like the more I tried mm-hmm. the less it worked I was not you know what a traditional man would would be and everybody around me recognized that and you know I was ridiculed for not being man enough but I, but I was not allowed to be feminine at all. And so I felt mm-hmm. like trapped in this place where I didn't fit. And, you know, mm-hmm. as I grew up and as, like evolved as a person, as a, as, as a woman, I, you know, I found a community where I can fit in as me. I don't have, to, it's that beautiful thing of like, you don't have to be something you can just mm-hmm. be. And, right. you know, I, I, that's not something I feel like, a lot of trans people get to experience and mm-hmm. you know, it's like, it's not something I got to experience most of my life. And I just, I think that's what, you know, I, I don't like to push religion on people because having it been mm-hmm. pushed on me so much, but mm-hmm. I feel like that community is there for people who really live it. It's so needed for people like me, mm-hmm. uh, you know, just as a trans person who, never fit in never felt like i fit in having a place where they accepted me no matter what you right. know it mm-hmm. just it, there's nothing like it and getting to go and worship however i would like to like that mm-hmm. to play the music i want that freedom to oh i don't really like this hymn can i just like make it into a jazz song and they're like yeah go for it and then love that yeah it's just like yeah. okay like and then we get there, and they're like, Adora, like, jazz the song up. She made it beautiful. And I'm just like, I, mm-hmm. I guess I did, didn't I? And, and that the kind of thing is celebrated. Like, mm-hmm. that, I think that's the kind of culture, like, we should all be working towards. And, like, mm-hmm. that I really dig from this vibe you're creating. Like, that, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. What's up? Like, yeah. I, just, I just think, like, everybody really should should work towards that inclusive, equitable worship style. Right. Right. It, I mean, in in my mind, it's like it, it's so cool because because if you even if you have a church, I mean, to your point about like just greater inclusion, if you if you truly have a church that is really serious about like, yeah, multiple genres of music, then. You can have uh, just, you know, taking guitar players as an example, because that like that's that's what I am. That's like the easiest thing I can I can go to you know 
you can have a guitar player. You might have one guitar player who's like really into into jazz and blues. And so when you have jazz and blues songs that week, well, that's the guitar player who can who can do that. And then they get to have a break because the next week is um, is gospel. And then there's and then you maybe in your congregation you've got a, another guitar player who's like really in, into gospel and that's the main thing that they like to play and that way like you theoretically you know you have you can ha- theoretically have a lot of musicians within your same community that you know you can rotate out so then people are less likely to get burnt out too you know you're not having the same players having to do every single song in all those different styles I mean, maybe you have some people who really want to do that but then you might have others who are like well you know i just want to do the i just want to do classical type of singing yeah. but then if you have if you have some some 20 something kids that want to practice their vocal fry screaming and they want to do some hymns to that it's like you know it, it, yeah, and, do it yeah 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 well, yeah one thing i really like as well is this kind of um it's something that I've noticed pop up more with this kind of genre mix match. I see mm-hmm. a lot of it on YouTube of like, okay, they take punk songs, they make them country or vice versa. Right. And I've right. always kind of had this, like this genre is basically this for this people. And mm-hmm. so one of my favorite things is I've always thought like country music and mariachi music are very like similar in emotion and, even kind of musical style, except for like the obvious mm-hmm. differences. And now mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, I want to have like a mariachi worship. Like, I think that would be, yeah. Yeah. Like I would just like have so much fun, like playing that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're opening, yeah. you're like, opening my mind to all, all of that abilities. Like, like I should just, all, all, just all of that, all yeah. of that. Yeah. Literally the Bible says, sing to the Lord, a new song, you know? Mm-hmm. So, um, but gosh, this is this is the second podcast episode um, where we have had such a great deep dive into music. Um, and actually, <laughs> you're you're the you're the second trans person who's been on the podcast where we've had this deep dive into music and spirituality. I, I just love I love this very specific niche yes. that we're ha- we're having here. Yeah. I want to get into your name okay adora yes my name because is yes because it is it, it's a very lovely name yes and it is also the name of one of the main characters of shira and the princesses of power so yes. i want to open up a conversation about the show because you know you were talking about this whole found family thing and just finding this place of being yourself and being accepted and um, She-Ra and the princesses of power. Like that is such a strong through line in all five seasons of the show. Um, I um, am trying to see how I can quickly summarize the show. Um, It's basically, yes, yes, yes. You go right ahead. Okay. So there's this woman. And she is a part of this evil horde, and they're called the Horde. And mm, she discovers yes. that the Horde isn't who they say they are. And she escapes into a magical forest where she meets Bo and Glimmer. And throughout the course, she, with her sword of protection, discovers, you know, this kind of self-journey of individuality, uh, expression, um, love, platonic, you know, and romantic, you know, this identity of who you are all within kind of this really beautiful storytelling of, you know, good versus evil 
but it's not always so black and white. And also like me versus you versus like one entity versus another. Like one thing I always loved about She-Ra was like, well, specifically with the Princess of Power uh, show is, you know, the bad guys, not all of them were bad. Like Scorpia mm-hmm. is just the nicest. Oh my gosh. That's the most wholesome character. <laughs> um, and then, and then also like, Mista, like she's just this cold shouldered. I love her. Yeah, I, I I remember the first time I watched the episode, the murder mystery episode, <laughs> and yes. I, I fell in love with Mermista and C uh, Ra. You remember C Ra? Like I like was on the floor laughing when she called herself C Ra, and I was just like, <laughs> yeah. But like I just like that you know, identity is not what group you're part of identity is not the people you hang out with identity is exactly what you make of it and like honestly like a lot of i i i i never like liked being that person to like ascribe like part of their personal kind of just like this is what i'm about because of a show but like it she Mm -hmm. probably did teach me a lot like about Mm -hmm. identity and being yourself and being okay with Mm -hmm. yourself and it's okay to be you and it's also like it's okay to like not know what you're about too sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is such a good example of just the quality of not number one the quality of animated shows in general. Oh, beautiful um, show! But, yeah, like yeah, visually, yeah, beautiful. Vi- visually beautiful, but quality storytelling and queer media that is targeted toward a young audience with very like healthy and good representation. Um, the way that it tackles issues of, um, of abuse Mm -hmm. and, um, like colonization and, um, like there, like that is, gosh, especially season five, the intent, I have a whole thing about like some of the very intentional, religious imagery um when like when katra is like completely like in the horde i'm like this looks like a mega church and that was intentional um because because then uh andy stevenson made a thread about it It was like yeah we we look to mega churches for like design inspiration for the hordes like headquarters spaceship i just well i haven't even thought of that like that is Mm -hmm. great now i have to go watch it again way to go oops yeah (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it's oh my gosh, it's it's a very well done show. There, there's so much in it about, um, like, like like a divine community, um, and just the like a the difference between like like a community that is formed where because like especially by the end of the show, like Shira is is sort of this mythical, um, you know, divine kind of entity. But the way that she is in community with everyone on her side is, you know, she doesn't, she's not acting like she's above them. She's not hoarding her power, Mm -hmm. like lording her power over them. It's very communal. And I think as progressive Christians, like as a progressive Christian myself, watching that entire fifth season, I was like, that is a theological vibe right there. This is some UCC stuff like this. All this stuff that's happening in the show is like, I've heard this yeah. um, and, and, and seen it in, in the church. And so, um, and, and so 
Man- so because of this mandatory- show, like you yeah. go, what was that? It's mandatory viewing for, for sure. Yeah. 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 It, and this is, this is the second time on this podcast that we've talked about this show. Uh, so I do, I do highly recommend it. It's on Netflix. Um, uh, yeah, I did. So I did steal my name. Yes. The show. But yes. the story, the reason why is not as simple as I really like this show. So mm-hmm. going back to when I was a little child, um, you know, I was a boy and I was afraid to be myself. Um, and I did not really like masculine things. And one of the more masculine things, which in hindsight, very homoerotic and not super masculine was He-Man. And mm-hmm. so maybe some people may know, but not everybody knows that She-Ra is a spinoff of He-Man. Mm-hmm. And so I actually had um, a friend who told me like, Oh, you're watching He-Man. I'm like, yeah, I don't really like it. And they're like, I think you'd really like She-Ra. I was like, what is mm-hmm. She-Ra? They're like, Oh, it's like a spinoff, but it's for girls. And of mm-hmm. course, if something was for girls, I had to be a part of it. And so right. they gave me a VHS copy of like, and I think this, the show was old when I was had a VHS copy of it. So it was really old. Yeah. And so yeah. I had a VHS copy. I think it was like two episodes of the classic Shira show. And mm-hmm. after everybody went to bed in my house, I would sneak into the living room. Mom and mm-hmm. dad, if you're listening, shh, I would sneak into the living room. <laughs> and I, they probably won't. They'd sneak into the living room and I would yeah. put the VHS in and I would turn the volume all the way down and I would watch. Yeah. She raw and I wouldn't have anything mm-hmm. that's going on. But like as a kid, I just I saw this girl who picked up a sword and mm-hmm. transformed into this mm-hmm. magical, beautiful, powerful woman. And mm-hmm. now, like as somebody who is transforming, you know, mm-hmm. that was like She-Ra was my, you know, transpiration. Like you like who you are does not who, how you were born does not determine who you are and mm. so like i you know i am more of a woman now because of the way sorry all my dogs are barking right now <laughs> i don't know if they're, they're welcome okay but- yeah i'm sure i think it's feeding time so oh yes uh, <laughs> but no so like she was just my model for this, you know, trans figure. Like, I know she's not trans, but she kind of is mm-hmm. a transformative character, this transformative entity. And that's mm-hmm. really, really, like, that stuck with me. And so that's why I picked the name Adora, because, like, this is my new me. This is my real me. And so that's where that came from. And that is is so cool. And, and I think that's one of the... I think that's a really beautiful part um, of the trans experience that um, many trans people choose to to go through is is finding and choosing your new name. I know, you know, not maybe for everybody, it, it might not be, you know, a, a big like have a lot of meaning in it. Like everybody's different. Yeah. Um, but but I know that um, that for a lot of a lot of, uh, you know, my trans friends pretty much. most of them there's some there's some type of of thought or like deeper significance that 
um, goes into or that went into their their choice of, of their name. And I think I just think about that even on an abstract level as like a, a lover of fantasy where like sometimes you read books where like names are so important and it's like that's such a fantasy thing that you all yeah. just you all just do like and and it's you know it's it's something that should be that should be celebrated and and because so much of the you know the typical uh experience in our western culture is that you have a name given to you yeah um which is very different from the the process of getting to uh to select your name um so I, I just, I, I always like, I, I like that. I think that's a very, just a very special uh, thing that gets to happen. Yeah. And so, so before I went by Adora, um, but after I started transitioning, when I first started transitioning, um, I was living as non-binary for a while. And that was just me mm-hmm. kind of exploring what that was. And so I went by Zan. Um, mm-hmm. and, and just because I felt like a nice, gentle, neutral name. And I really liked Kimmy Schmidt. And there was a character mm-hmm. named Zan in that show. And so I, and I also, I didn't have the confidence that like I could be a trans woman. And I thought there's mm-hmm. no way I could ever be a woman. Like that's just not in the cards for me, but I don't have to be a man. And mm-hmm. so I lived as Zan. And then I finally, like I, a lot of self exploration, a lot of personal journey and a mm-hmm. lot of self acceptance. And it's like, okay, like, I am who I am and I'm not going to fight being a woman just because of these societal preconceptions of what a woman should look like or what a woman does look like. And mm-hmm. so, but I didn't want to get rid of the name Zan. And mm-hmm. so I was talking with my friends and I was like, okay, I really want Zan to still be a part of my name. But like I had already decided Adora was going to be my name. And so mm-hmm. I was like, okay, Zan will be my middle name. But Zan needs to be short for something. And so my friend, the same one who was from Chile, she was like, we're just going to call you Zanifer. And I was like, mm-hmm. that's it. We found it's beautiful. I love it. It's that's <laughs> it. And so now like I love that part of my name too because like it's something like my family gave to me. Like right. my, you know, my friends, my my found family gave mm-hmm. me that name, you know, and mm-hmm. even in a joking manner, but it just it really resonated with me. And so I still mm-hmm. like that part of the way I view my name. It's not just Adora Isaguerra, it's Adora Xanifer Isaguerra because Isaguerra is who I come from. It's my heritage. It's my, mm-hmm. my birth family. It's the place I come from. It's my cultural everything. Xanifer is my friends, my found family. It's my journey. And it's a mm-hmm. name that I only use with certain people now. Um, mm-hmm. My wife still calls me Zan. My mm-hmm. friends still call me Zan. The ones who are really close to me who were there with me through my entire journey and but adora is like it, it's who i am and mm-hmm. it's who i found and i like mm-hmm. to keep my name as a story um you know where i started and where i am and mm-hmm. who knows where i'll be you know maybe i'll add another name you know there's no rule you know mm-hmm. and right. and so i just it, it's really important to me that you know to people who are, you know, on this journey um, of being trans or you know, just being in the community, um, you know, I, people say live your truth, but like live your truth, but it's also okay to, if your truth changes and mm-hmm. your life is a journey and our journeys, you know, they're not a straight line and you shouldn't try to make them a straight line because that'll just be hard on yourself. 
And so live free, live as yourself, live um, and be and live unafraid of change that may come and celebrate it. And I used to be terrified of change. And, and honestly, that comes from just being an autistic person, but I was so scared of any change. And I just, it, it was so hard for me, but now I, I feel like because of my identity, like I'm so much more well equipped to handle and celebrate it and not be mm-hmm. afraid of it. And so like currently I'm, I'm currently a teacher. I teach uh, first graders and like that's one thing that I like really work with them is just like you're so like they're young you're growing um be unafraid of failure be unafraid of that of that life of that change that comes with life and but also celebrate it together with each other you know that's when like my one of my goals for my classroom is just you know celebrate each other lift each other celebrate the failures because that's just our that's how we grow it's how we learn and the struggles are hard but when we have people who we can struggle with who we can share that struggle with it it, it makes it easier it makes it it makes it sweeter on the other side at the end absolutely so one of the reasons why it's so great having you on the podcast today is that you are actually uh the author of one of the passages in Encuentros Latinx's newest toolkit. Um, We have been working on a toolkit that is uh, specifically about um, understanding and being inclusive of and telling the stories of transgender people. And so uh, longtime uh, listeners, people familiar with the work of Encuentros Latinx, you may already know that we have toolkits that have to do with um, racism and LGBTQ inclusion in church. These are meant to be workshops that um, help congregations do the work of talking about these difficult subjects and becoming more open and becoming more inclusive and doing away with uh, white supremacy, homophobia, and, and so on and so forth. Yeah. But we, we really felt that there was a need to create a toolkit that was specifically focused on the transgender experience. And you are one of the writers of, of uh, the toolkit pieces. And so I would love to invite you now to read the piece that you wrote for the toolkit. Absolutely. Let me pull it up here. So how does one live their truth? Does it come from dressing the way they want, speaking the words they wish to share, walking paths they long to take? My name is Adora, and I picked it out myself. When I was younger, I used to hide old VHS recorded copies of She-Ra and watch them after dark with the volume turned all the way down so as not to wake anyone in the house. I watched a woman named Adora, dedicated to, prote- uh, dedicated to protection, wield a sword and transform into a woman of power. She was everything I wanted to be, a strong, powerful woman who stood up for those who put others down and whose love was not a weakness but rather a source of power. I sat in amazement, longing to be what I saw on the screen. But when the screen turned off, I was faced with my reality. I was born a boy into a religious family in a town where religion permeated every nook and cranny of our lives. I felt trapped. I felt alone. And worst of all, I felt wrong. For many people, 
faith can be a difficult thing. And as a trans woman, I used to think that faith and my truth were like water and oil. Throughout my childhood, I suppressed the feelings that I thought were unnatural. The attractions, the emotions, the dysphoria, all of these things were just symptoms of the world to me and filled me with guilt and made me only run deeper into the dogma that made me feel wrong in the first place. Messages like homosexuality is a sin and the LGBT community was a blasphemy against God terrified me. You know, I didn't want to go to hell, but if I continued down this path that my heart was pulling me towards, I was convinced I would. When I entered into my adult years, I, for the first time, felt like I could explore who I was on the inside. It started with the small, odd earrings or colorful shirt, and little by little, I could almost fear the years of pressure and guilt giving way to joy. And this process of finding myself also led me to distance myself from the church. I felt like I could never truly be welcome there, and as if being myself would mean forcing them to compromise what they believed for me. I felt sad, but I focused on myself and what I needed, and eventually I gained the confidence and joy I needed to come out to myself and to come out to others. For the first time in my life, I was living my truth, and I was proud, but that moment would not last forever. In my darkest moments, though, I found my true faith community, a small but growing community of faith and love who, without question and without any price, stood up and carried me through my darkest times. I was made to feel welcome, made to feel beautiful. I was led not to feel wrong because of how I lived my truth, but rather right for living my truth. I found a new family in my pastors, my choir peers, and the many people who reminded me that God made me to live my truth not one that others had decided for me. So how does one live their truth? Does it come from dressing the way they want, speaking the words they wish they share, walking paths they long to take? I live my truth in two major ways, standing up and standing out. Now, standing out is easy for me. Everywhere I go, I get stares. They used to make me feel uncomfortable and scared. But now I know when I walk outside, I'm showing the world that it's not only okay but beautiful to live as you feel because we are wonderfully made. And maybe I can inspire some people to be themselves in a world where they feel like they cannot. Standing up can be a challenge. Sometimes standing up means standing against those who are more powerful than we are or resisting systemic issues that plague the world. But when we have a powerful faith behind us and a powerful people of faith beside us, then we are truly a force to be reckoned with that can make the world a better place for people of all kinds. Wonderful. I think that's such a great summary of like our entire conversation. <laughs> yes. Um, it's, and, and folks, the, the trans toolkit, it is, well, as of this recording, I think we're still putting some final touches on it. I'm not sure if the download link is live yet, uh, but if it is, it will be linked in the show notes, linked in the description so that you can access it and um, you can use it in your yeah. own settings. There's so, lots of other awesome people who have written stories in there too. So Absolutely. Yes. Yes. Um, and hopefully we can get some of them also on the podcast. Yes, for sure. So, so um, Adora, thank you so much for this great conversation, for coming on the show and well, for, thank you for uh, having me. I absolutely <laughs> loved it. I've never done a podcast before. So, Oh, well, I'm glad this was such a good experience then. It's a great experience.
Awesome. Any excuse to talk about She-Ra in music, in D&D, always. Yes, I completely agree. Yeah. Thanks so much for listening to today's show. Please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you're listening to this. On behalf of Encuentros Latinx, we hope you'll join us on our next Encuentro.